Welcome to Motherhood Exposed. Join me, Zoe Cresswell, mum of two and a UK-trained midwife and doula, as I meet with an array of amazing women navigating life and motherhood. Since becoming a mum for the second time, after my own complex journey, I've become more and more aware that motherhood is so unique. There's no one story the same, and women need support now more than ever. I hope by allowing mothers to openly speak out, we can help to break the silence around many topics. We need to shout out that there is no normal, and that is something we need to embrace. Motherhood isn't always picture perfect, so let's bust some myths, realign expectations, and share the journey together. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Motherhood Exposed. Today, I have the absolute pleasure of speaking to Amy Campbell, aka This Is My Brave Face. Amy is mum to twin girls, Charlotte and Esme, son Archie, and two gorgeous labs, Mila and Hattie. Today, Amy talks about the birth of her girls very prematurely at 27 weeks, and then tragically, the loss of Esme, who died at seven weeks old. She blogs her journey through grief and motherhood, as in her words, she wants to turn an end into a beginning by reaching out to others on a similar journey and raise awareness of prematurity. Obviously, today we're discussing the painful subjects of premature labour and neonatal death. If you feel you need support with any of these, please take a look at the show notes and the links attached. So thank you, Amy. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Shall we, um, how are you doing? You okay? Yep. Yeah. Uh, Yes. Yeah, I am. I met up with my friends, twin girls today. So it was, it's been a really... Wow. (laughs) A really big day for you. How was that? Um, Well, I found out she was pregnant maybe last November and I couldn't physically read the message when she announced that she was pregnant with twins because I just felt so sick Um, and it it just was really painful. And then then I found out she was pregnant with twin girls and then that 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 really hurt as well. And then and then it's taken me until maybe since after Esme's anniversary. Uh, to just uh, and for them to get past the newborn stage for me to feel comfortable and and she's a really really close friend so I'm friend and then today I met them (laughs) wow I'm feeling a massive day day for you then a massive day yes yeah well done well done gosh this is a big day and now seeing speaking to me as well thank you so much not at all so can we um can we go right back to the beginning um because the listeners obviously won't know um your whole story and um maybe if we start back right at the beginning with um how you met your husband I met my husband at university in the I joined the rowing team and he was the coach and okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh and then I all, and then he had a girlfriend at the time so I pretended that I didn't like him and then and then over Christmas, their relationship must have fizzled out. So by the end of January, we uh, we were together. <laughs> wow, I love that. Apparently you fancy day one. There's <laughs> <laughs> a match made in heaven then. And we, so you were 18? Yeah, yes, yeah, I was 18. Gosh, yeah. you were really young then, as well. Yeah, but yeah. And that's one of the reasons I went to uni. <laughs> Not what, to get a degree. Or to meet a man? <laughs> You're joking. <laughs> oh, yeah, jokes. <laughs> so it was obviously to get a degree as well. <laughs> no, that's, that's just the second part, isn't it? 
And then, so how long were you guys together before um, before you um, started trying for a family? Or did you start trying for a family? Uh, ten years we were together before we started trying. We um, finished off uni, then we, uh, yeah, it was ten years. Uh, we got married, moved back. That was in Newcastle where I met him. And then we moved back down to Yorkshire. And so that's where I grew up. And then after we got married in September, we started trying um pretty much oh no I had to wait because I've got a new job as well don't, don't do things by half no. <laughs> <laughs> anymore <laughs> that was that's the thing of the past um yeah so we I was a bit nervous about trying because I hadn't had a period for well over a year and um then I got told that I had a few polycystic ovaries and that might be why I hadn't come on my period but then the gynecologist just put it down to me being a little bit under my normal weight for trying for a baby but that was obviously a fear that I was desperate to become a mum but maybe couldn't couldn't become a Mm mum um so I think it was in my it was when we went on our honeymoon in October then we started trying and then three months it was a I think it took roughly about three months until I became pregnant. Uh, so it wasn't wasn't really long in the grand scheme of things. And then it was the day before I went on a skiing holiday that I did the test and it was positive. <laughs> I've heard that story so many times. Oh, I'm going skiing, so I've had a just check. And did you still go on holiday? Yeah, I think I was about seven weeks pregnant and I just felt horrendous. Oh, no. <laughs> So was it just uh, all hot chocolates and uh, and warm fires? Yeah, and then <laughs> then at the, at the excitement of googling. Oh, not sure I can eat that. I'll just Google if I. <laughs> <laughs> and I say to them, "Oh, I'm actually I'm pregnant. I can't eat that." <laughs> oh wow, That's so special. And then I when did. did you find out about um, the fact you were expecting twins? It was it was the first bank holiday of the year because I had a bleed and I thought that it was signs of an early miscarriage mm-hmm. but and then whenever I phoned up the Harrogate hospital they said I think it happened on the Thursday and then it was good Friday I think and they said that because of the bank holiday they couldn't see us till the Sunday oh, but I couldn't I couldn't like I, I just could I couldn't wait until Sunday um so we ended up booking in for a private scan um got the last space of the day and husband came home from work and I, I just felt sick the the entire drive there um and then whenever I had the scan and she because I hadn't had this I had this I hadn't even had my first scan so I, this was the first time I'd ever been scanned how many weeks she, were you at this point 11 11 yeah, uh, so she was scanning my tummy and then she was like, oh, look, there's one baby, there's its healthy heartbeat. And I just and I just burst into tears because I was just so excited that it was that it was healthy. And then she said, and there's one and there's the other. <laughs> I was like, huh? Oh, wow. <laughs> 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 hysterical because I didn't know to laugh or cry and the thought that I'd lost a baby and had actually got two healthy babies in there. It was wow. pretty amazing. And 
yes. And it was just because I was getting bigger twice as fast that that's why I was bleeding. Okay. That's, so that's what, that's what I was told. <laughs> Gosh. And how did the, um, the rest of the, so how did the pregnancy go? Um, it was just really, I felt sick probably up until 21 weeks, but then I'd suffered quite bad anxiety in my previous jobs and I felt quite comfortable in this job, but then we've been pregnant with twins and just feeling so ill and then having to do the pressures of working as a, t- a special needs teacher, uh, everything just started to get a bit too much and my anxiety started to get really bad that at 16 weeks I um I went on sick leave uh, yeah. but then I felt I still felt the guilt that I wasn't at work oh. with my class um, but my midwife said that it's about me now and they can they've coped before you they can cope now <laughs> it's absolutely <laughs> like to say the mum guilt even starts before the babies are born and <laughs> it's yeah. so telling so um and then and then what happened um Towards there, so what happened when when uh, to show the signs that that, that uh, you were going to go into labour? So I um, we moved to my because we were expecting twins. We moved to my parents' house so that we could do the loft conversion at our house. Yeah, and I just I could I couldn't sit on anything hard. I couldn't I could barely walk. Um, everything felt so tight and. Because it was my first pregnancy, I trusted my midwife, and she just kept on telling me that um, it's just because my body is getting bigger twice as fast. But after going through my psychotherapy, my body was showing me all the early signs of labour mm-hmm. and screaming at me that something wasn't right, and that's the reason why I can now forgive my body because before. I blamed it for its premature labour, but it wasn't my body doing something wrong. It was that I was, I suppose, listening to wrong advice and something wasn't right. And even though I kept ringing and checking that I was in so much pain, I never got told to go and get checked out for signs of premature labour. So you weren't under any um, doctor care at this point? Yes, I was under... Uh, a consultant but I I, it was the twin midwife from Leeds but I was under consultant care in Harrogate mm-hmm. okay so I don't know if I was just missed or yeah. I should have explored my options further but I think I just in hindsight that wonderful thing I put too much trust in the midwife <laughs> and, uh, so, so what happened can you tell us what happened um 24 plus 24 plus two I I just couldn't get comfortable on the sofa is this and, your parents house parents house yeah and it was a, it was early and it was like half seven eight o'clock and my bo- my tummy was just like a rock and I like said to my mum like feel how solid my tummy is but there isn't it was never thought of that it was early labour. Um, it was just thought that it was just too in there. And I was lying down and I, I was like, the only way I can get comfortable is if I go to bed. So I went to bed and then in the morning, I couldn't wake up. 
I was trying really hard to wake up, but I couldn't wake up. And all of a sudden I was forced awake by a sudden rush of water underneath me. Wow. Then I, and then I pulled the duvet up and there was just blood everywhere. So I ran screaming to the bathroom um, for my mum, but my mum wasn't in, but the cleaner was. He was a really close family friend. And my dad was also in and there was a trail of blood to the bathroom oh. and it was all in the bathroom and, uh, and that was 24 plus three. And then my dad drove me to the, to Harrogate hospital. Uh, and he, and then we, we had the wait of, to find out if it was my waters that had gone or if it was, um, uh, or if we lost the babies or what what had happened so but that was the first time that I'd ever experienced time standing still oh I can't imagine yeah it was just it was horrendous and was Uh, was Connor with you at this point so he was a we live in Leeds and Connor was working in Newcastle so he (laughs) I had to explain what had happened and then he had to drive from work down to Newcastle wow Um, then we finally got a scan and found out that it was Twin One's waters who had got who had, whose had gone, but Twin Two was fine. Uh, twin Two still had her waters. So Twin One uh, was Charlotte and Twin Two Esme. Yeah, yeah, okay. Then we got told that Harrogate Hospital only have ba- only keep have premature babies from thirty two weeks gestation. So then they had to phone around all the local hospitals to see who had a free, two free incubators. And whilst that was happening, we also had visits from, um, visits from the consultant saying that it's quite slim, that babies of a baby's survival, uh, if they're born, at, they just wanted to warn us that if a baby's born at this gestation, then they might be extremely disabled and, with me being a special needs teacher and just all my fears, like everything just felt so sick and surreal that it was so surreal. Yeah. That it was, that it feels surreal that it wasn't my life. And then so real and sickening that it was my life and that it was my baby's lives and that um, and the feeling of being so helpless that I could do anything but but wait uh, anyway, we were extremely lucky, and we got two incubators in Leeds, which was the closest hospital and uh, and i've yeah I've got a lot of time for Leeds were you in uh, uh, were you contracting at this point or in labor at all contracting were and were they giving yeah. you things to try and slow slow the labour down? I think I was given, yes, I was. I was given an injection for their lungs. Yeah. The, yeah. A steroid injection. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, I think I was sick as well. I can't remember. I'm sure you were with everything going on. So you got to yeah. Leeds and then, and then were, were the girls born quite soon after your arrival in Leeds? Uh, we got to Leeds and then we got told that the next 48 hours is crucial uh, if they were to be born. Uh, and then then we went for another scan and the both babies were fine. And that we got told in time that with twins, 
it's a rare occasion, but sometimes the other twin can share her waters with the other one. So whenever I got a scan in, say, 10 days' time, Esme had shared her waters with Charlotte. Wow. (laughs) It was a really, really special moment that they were looking after each other in there. It was really lovely. But I didn't go into labour for another 17 days. And well done you that's amazing (laughs) spent the entire time in the antenatal unit so I had heavily pregnant women desperate to get their babies out (sighs) coming for days that felt quite cruel (laughs) in a way because total opposite they were they were desperate to get their babies in and I was like stop you don't don't you don't you be listening in there (laughs) (laughs) that was really it that was really hard going Absolutely, I can imagine. So, what happened um, the day they were born? Did you, you did you go into labour um, eventually? So they were they were both breech, and Charlotte was standing on a cord. So I was we were basically all a, a ticking time bomb that Charlotte was either going to have a prolapsed cord, or um, uh, or I was or we were going to catch an infection, and and uh, sixteen days later. They, my infection mark, I started to experience, because they said, they started warning me about getting period cramps, but I couldn't remember what period cramps felt like (laughs) until day 16. And I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I think I'm having, I think I'm having period cramps. Um, And then, and then by 11am the next morning, then the, then it had got the cramp, it had gone into contractions and my husband came, drove to the hospital. Uh, and then it, it was the men's final in Wimbledon. So <laughs> so funny the things you remember, isn't it? I know. I said, if they wait, I always said, because I watched the whole of Wimbledon from the hospital bed. I said, <laughs> if they stay with me for the whole two weeks, then I'll buy them a Wimbledon towel each. But they failed. <laughs> <laughs> no towel. <laughs> <laughs> so how many you're 27 weeks at this point are you yeah 26 plus six gosh okay yeah so then the my infection markers had shot through the roof uh, I was having contractions so they just said well we're just going to take you through to the delivery suite just in case especially as they're both breech so I'd never actually expected that night to be having them and then it was whenever I was talking to the consultant that the midwife interrupted the consultant. And this was, I don't know, about quarter to nine at night, around around that time. Mm-hmm. And then interrupted the consultant and said, uh, "Twin one's heart rate's plummeting." And then, and then it was it was all systems go, and I had to have. They gave me some magnesium sulfate, and the. The midwife who was doing it said, oh, I've never done this before, but I've been told by other midwives that they want to jump out of the window <laughs> when the lady who's pregnant has it. I was like, all right, great. That's lovely <laughs> so, they, <laughs> yeah. so they went and got a more experienced midwife and she was like, oh, you'll just feel a bit of hot flushes. You'll feel a bit dizzy. You might feel a bit tingly. I was like, well, I've been having anxiety attacks for two weeks. <laughs> That's nothing. Oh, um, but the magnesium sulfate was one of the, the worst worst out of body experiences I've ever had, because I was in my mind I was 
I was there the whole time, but I was just, um, I was just nonstop uh, vomiting and felt like I'd been dropped into a volcano. And oh, wow. It was the most horrendous experience. And it was a five minute drip. And then it was literally with about five seconds to until it's until it stopped that I started to come round to normal. So it was the most horrendous five minutes. So it only lasted five minutes though. So when it was over, it was it was well, over. Well because they got loads into my body in the five minutes, but then it was on a slow drip oh, to gosh. get the rest. <laughs> <laughs> and then she started to go through the uh, epidural pr- procedure as the um, magnesium sulfate started so I was like so then but then of course I went violently sick so then they had to repeat the epidural as a um safety thing yeah uh, as and then I got rushed into theater and at 9:27 Charlotte was born and at 9:30 Esme was born. And this by um, cesarean section? Yeah, sorry, by oh, that's cesarean. Okay. Uh, also, by cesarean. Say for um, a any listeners that don't know, so breach is obviously um, anything really that isn't a head um, presentation. So it was the bottom and you said that Charlotte's foot was possibly first. Um, it was both, yeah, yeah, both the heads, ribs and feet down. <laughs> both feet down, okay. And then you mentioned earlier about a cord prolapse as well. So that's obviously um, where the cord uh, is the first thing that comes out of the vagina and so not not a baby accord which is obviously a, a massive risk um for the well-being of the baby so the babies were born by a cesarean mm-hmm. um and I imagine the theatre was incredibly busy with lots yes of on. Yeah. they said congratulations to me and the word congratulations has never felt so wrong oh. in my entire <laughs> but yeah there was I think there was maybe I think there was maybe about six of the neonatal team around each incubator, possibly more, and then about eighteen minutes. I couldn't see anything because they were both working hard trying That's, to intubate. Yeah, and there was music playing. The consultant and the the other lady they were talking, and I felt I felt quite relaxed, and I think I felt like a weight had been lifted off my shoulder because it was no longer my responsibility to keep the babies safe. It was, it was quite a calm, it was quite a calm place. Wow. Uh, And then, then, and I just wanted to see, I just wanted to see them. I was, I spent all my time in the antenatal unit petrified of seeing my girls and not loving them because they were so, premature and they say don't google but whenever you've never heard of a premature baby before and I and I just felt sick to the pit of my stomach that I'd see my girls and feel repulsed and love um did you talk to anyone about how you felt during that time um not about that because I think I felt I felt such shame that I felt that that was a huge burden for you to carry that time yeah, I suppose it, it upsets me now because the, the feeling of shame is such a strong, painful feeling to feel, and and one of a mother not loving their baby. It's not just, shame. It's it's the unknown. It's the unknown, and it's a very natural response. And and yeah, yeah, 
Did, was yeah. Connor um, was Connor able to? Did he stand up? Was he in the theatre with you? Yes, yeah, he was. Did he stand up and have a look at the girls? Did he? I asked. I'm not sure if he wanted to or not, but I said, "Can you go and take a picture?" Yeah, because over, I think, yeah. Oh no, sorry, he waited, and then I think it was about 15 minutes, and then Esme was they managed to intubate Esme. Esme was doing quite. Esme was doing really well, and then Esme was wheeled past my head, and then I, uh, and it was love, and she was, she was. And and that felt so relieved, and that I was a mother, and I uh, managed to put my finger inside the incubator, and we touched fingers. Wow! Um, Oh, that's beautiful. And then she was then she was wheeled to the neonatal unit, but then they were still working away at Charlotte, and I asked Connor to go and take a picture of her. I still got that picture on my phone, and it's not a nice picture, but. She she was she's mine, so I loved her. Of course, yeah. it, it was about well, I don't know twenty. It was even up to half an hour before they wheeled her past that I was still lying in theatre and the team was working away and I couldn't see her. All I could see was the clock on top of the incubator. And, and for then, a mother to be present during that time, the whole time, that's that must hold quite a lot of trauma. Um, to to have been there for both of them and, and be present the whole time they were working on them. Um, is that something you you think about a lot or is that now something that's kind of in the past? And Yeah, I don't... After... I've, I was always desperate for that moment of giving birth and the baby being put on my chest. Mm-hmm. I suppose I was hungry for that feeling and then I got it with my son um who there's 23 months between Charlotte and Archie and I think in terms of healing from birth trauma that Archie has healed a lot of wounds because everything I craved for with the girls I got with Archie Mm -hmm. and and so I don't it doesn't no I don't think it does affect me as much as bad as it sounds whenever I say it out loud no gosh no it doesn't (laughs) so both girls are in the neonatal unit. Um, mm-hmm. How long before you were able to see them? So then we got, then we were, I call them the holding bays. <laughs> there was a mum next to me and her baby kept crying. And then the midwife came to me and she was like, shall we uh, see if you, um, if you're producing any milk? I was like, what? <laughs> what is this? <laughs> milk in there and <laughs> uh, because I, I, I'd not been to any antenatal classes we had a chance so, did you <laughs> so, <laughs> and, and so and then I produced milk and I was, I was like what how did that so feel that, it was felt incredible it felt absolutely amazing but and then the the midwife went skipping with this oh. syringe <laughs> down to the neonatal unit but then whenever whenever she came back, she was a completely different midwife and was really, really quiet and hardly said anything to us. And we were obviously desperate to know how the girls were, but she she didn't tell us anything. Uh, and then, then, I don't know, maybe 10 minutes or so went past and the registrar came round and said that Esme's doing well. She's doing it. She's trying to breathe herself. She's doing great. 
but things aren't looking good for Charlotte and they're really struggling to intubate her and um, that's where they're at. And then they had to go back. Wow. And so I then spent the next hour planning Charlotte's funeral. <laughs> oh, gosh. Yeah. And then I felt such guilt that these thoughts of her funeral kept coming into my head whenever I was, whenever I'd just given birth to her. And they said that she was extremely poorly. And then, uh, and, and then every footsteps that went past, we thought it'd be them to tell us about Charlotte. And then the neonatal consultant came back and said that Charlotte had been intubated. Oh, that must have been incredible. <laughs> the relief I felt was something else. I don't think I can describe the relief I felt. Uh, because every time I thought about the funeral, I felt like I was giving up on hope on her. And then the other side of the coin, I was like, come on, Charlotte, you're made of strong stuff. Yeah. You can fight. <laughs> and they were, and then I did, finally I got to go around. It was, I think it was about one in the morning whenever I got to go around and see them. And I, I, I couldn't actually say anything. And I remember being in tears with the neonatal nurse saying that I wish that I could tell them that I loved them, but I couldn't because I just couldn't get the words out of my mouth. And I, I did, I wanted to. And she just was, the neonatal nurse was just gorgeous. And she just said, it'll happen in time. Don't put like, don't put that pressure on yourself. Mm-hmm. And yeah, so. And they would have known was, you were there. They, they would have known you were there for sure. Yeah, gave them a stern word. <laughs> <laughs> Their first telling off. Stop scaring the shit out of mum. <laughs> <laughs> so then, I mean, obviously they were so tiny and, and how, how much did they weigh? So Charlotte was 947 grams. Gosh. And it was uh, 1,014 grams. Wow. Uh, yeah, Diddy. They would uh, sit here. So the bottoms would sit in that hand, head there. And they had a quite long leg. My legs used to tickle my tummy. <laughs> <laughs> so how long were you in hospital for with them? How long were you able to stay with them? Uh, so I was I was in hospital, I think, till I gave birth to them on the Sunday. And then by Wednesday, I was desperate to go home because I'd been there for, uh, I don't know, two and a half, three weeks. And I was just desperate for some sort of normality. Yeah. I think I felt a bit hospitalised. Yeah. And then. I held as I held Esme when she was eight days old, and oh, was she? And no, I think I held Esme when she was three days old, and I held Charlotte when she was ten days old. Gosh, uh, wow. that was wonderful. Did you get <laughs> pictures? Was... Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> that must have been so special. It's so so special. It was just. Oh, it was amazing. Yeah, just the feeling of their head. And I don't think up until the moment that I held them that I felt like a mum. And then the moment I felt my baby in my arms, the feeling that I was their mummy just felt real. <laughs> oh, gosh. And then yeah. over the next um, few weeks, what happened? What? How did the next few weeks look? What was life like for you? Uh, they ticked an awful lot of premature baby problems from 
distended bowels and neck. They just ticked every single premature baby problem going from uh, just neck to rejecting my milk to uh, seizures to having their brain monitored uh, to as both es- both of Esme's lungs collapsing to Charlotte's lungs collapsing and them being given all the medicine that the hospital could give them and they both pulled around themselves gosh so to say it was a roller coaster is like a massive understatement then yeah yeah um yeah and I spent my time changing their bed sheets doing their they say doing their cares and that mm-hmm. means like the cotton wool pad yeah is around the creases doing the bottoms weighing their nappies getting them dressed uh yes so were you were you literally at the hospital the whole time um as they started to get stronger I stayed at the hospital longer but that was another mum guilt thing that I felt that because the intensive care unit was so intense my husband could only be there for one two hours at a time because it was just that that was his limit yeah and then as well with me not being able to drive and wanting his support and also me as well I tended to spend the morning washing all of their muslin cloths and expressing and then I'd go in and see them mid late morning until tea time so but then as they started getting stronger and I had the freedom of getting the train in, then I'd spend longer there and Connor returned to work. Uh, yes. Uh, and then, then at six weeks, that's when things just went from bad to worse with Esme. So can you tell uh, us what happened? Um, mm. So it started off, I went to go and see her on the Saturday and I, and I looked at her and I said to the nurse that was looking after her, I was like, is, she, is Esme okay? She something doesn't something doesn't look right with her, and the neonatal unit neonatal nurse was a bit surprised because she'd checked on her ten minutes ago. But the thing with premature babies is that they can turn like that, and and then the nurse looked at Esme and was like, "Oh, no, she doesn't. She does look a bit different." So, and then because she just was really really still. As, as we had become quite active and they'd started wriggling around the incubator and I call her doing lots of yoga moves and she was always really calm and serene and ballerina movements <laughs> um, <laughs> unlike Charlotte who was quite moody and <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then and then then she started having seizure-like movements so they started monitoring her brain and then her infection markers went through the roof and then they had to um, do to put another long line in and they couldn't they couldn't put it through and they couldn't do it successfully through the wrists uh, I don't know if they do the feet as well but then she had to go into surgery to have it put in just above her heart and Gosh. then whenever she came out of surgery that was the last time that I saw her face um, because they'd intubated her again, but then had put like 
plaster tape all around her face. So I just saw that part of her. Um, and I think that's what broke me the most was that I couldn't see her yeah. face and and she was so lifeless. And then then she started and then we found, then they did a, a meningitis test, a, a lumbar injection, and that tested positive. And we got told that she had ventriculitis and that um, if it stayed at where it was, uh, then it would mean that she might suffer from hearing loss. So then I got my hopes up again because I was like, well, I can deal with that. I've always wanted to learn sign language. I can I can, I can, can be that mum. But then, and then they said that the next couple of days will will tell and that if the, the next 24 hours will tell and that if her head circumference gets any bigger then it means that the that the swellings increased mm-hmm. and caused brain damage um and so whenever i phoned back in the morning i was on a dog on a dog walk and i phoned back in the morning and the consultant asked me that asked me and Connor to come in and then I knew they'd never asked us to come into the hospital before so I knew it wasn't good news but then whenever I first saw her on that Saturday I felt it really deep down in me that this time that when she was poorly something's not something's not right and she's I didn't think she would recover from whatever I saw the first time round then it's incredible what a mother's instinct is like. I know, I know. I feel quite proud whenever I think back and I looked at her, went to see Charlotte, Charlotte was fine. And then I looked at Esme and I was like, no, something's yeah. wrong. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, I did, did know. And then I got to the end of the field and then my, after I'd spoken to the consultant and my, leg, my legs just collapsed and I couldn't, I couldn't, I, I felt like I just couldn't do it. I couldn't, I couldn't do anything other than sit and cry. And then luckily a man who I know uh, who lives in the village came and he um, picked me up off my feet. And I think that moment of being picked up off my feet was, wasn't just a matter of standing up. It was a matter of keep your chin up, put one in front of the other and you go do what you need to do for your girl wow gosh that's that's the bit that's getting me so um (laughs) so then you and connor went in into the into the hospital yeah we and we got told we there was a during the week we'd got pulled into the family room to be told about esme and her bleed and her seizure movements and a meningitis and then the consultant wanted to talk to us again but I couldn't I couldn't go into the family room because I was too afraid too fearful of what I was going to see and so I asked for him to tell me the news about the ventriculitis in the ward but it was so inappropriate and there was other families around but and I realized at the time that there's a reason why there's a family room, but I couldn't get <laughs> through that door again. <laughs> uh, so whenever we arrived at the hospital, we'd signed up to have any parent consultations filmed for for further 
uh, for for future training yeah for education yeah so the incredibly kind of you to do that wow they'd been incredibly good to us at the hospital and what it was just yeah help help others that's amazing (laughs) so the consultant asked me he said uh do I still want to go ahead with being filmed and I said yes because if anybody was going to break the news to us in a very kind and gentle way then this consultant could do it and if people can learn from this man then then that's that's only good I can't believe how absolutely thoughtful and giving you are in in such a I can't imagine what you were going through yet you were still thinking of others that's that's incredible Uh, amazing (laughs) of you yes so uh, yeah thank you Uh, (laughs) thank you I'm moving on (laughs) (laughs) the worst is yet to come (laughs) and I I almost buckled going into the family room and I remember saying to the nurse like is 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 Esme okay she's going to be okay because and and then the I think it was the sister was like well there's a reason why the consultants pulled you into hospital so I was like right that was brutal (laughs) I'll have to to, to go into this room Um, and yes so we explained that her ventriculitis had doubled in size and that there was cysts were multiplying and that she was severely brain damaged with no quality of life and uh, we did have one choice that we could suction the fluid from her brain, but it wouldn't affect. It wouldn't really affect her quality of life. Mm-hmm. Um, and if and I like asked about how long she would live for if we did that, and this he said maybe to the age of four, um, and they've just turned four, and that trauma has just lifted. So I feel in a in a different place again uh but um yes so I hadn't held them by this point I still hadn't held them together oh so and I was terrified of then seeing her knowing that I was then going to see it was going to be one of the last times that I'd see her uh and I didn't like that it's not nice uh yeah. Um, so we wanted to get the girls christened. So Connor's family are from Northern Ireland. And so they all flew in Sunday morning. And the, I think the priest came and we got them changed into their little christening baby grows. Uh, the only question that felt like was going through my head was how on earth will I know when to take her off her oxygen? How how will I ever know when to when is the right time to end my daughter's life? And that is the biggest question. I know. <laughs> uh, then on the christening, the family room where we'd been told all this bad news had then was then filled with my family and Connor's family, and it then became this wonderful, warm room where and filled with so much love and support. And it was Connor's older, eldest brother who turned around and said, don't do it today. 
today is their christening day don't don't have enjoy enjoy this day because it's a day to be celebrated and so I think uh, I'll never be more thankful for him saying that to me because Connor and I were like he's right he's absolutely right yeah yeah and then the um when it well whenever we found out about Esme I then asked the nurse um if I could hold them both together and but I was terrified of asking as well if I could hold them both together because I was and I felt so bad for asking the nurse but I didn't want Esme if she had anything contagious to then pass it on to Charlotte <laughs> uh so then I asked and they said that I could hold them together for a short period of time and and that's probably my most one of my most favorite moments of my life was <laughs> holding them both together and Charlotte gave a cuddle <laughs> did you get a picture of that Lots. Oh, good, good. <laughs> and then we spent that evening reading bedtime stories to them and just having a really special time, just the four of us. And then the next day, I put put my makeup on, put my clothes <laughs> on. I was like, right, I've got this. Sent a selfie to my friends. <laughs> like, I'm okay. I'm going to do this. I've, I've got this. Got your, actually, your armor on. Got my armor on. <laughs> About three in the morning, I couldn't sleep, so I went into the into into the room where they were, and the nurse asked the nurse if she'd given me if she could give me a pen and paper, and she left me to have a moment, and then I like looked across at Charlotte, and Charlotte just went like this, like <laughs> you have your moment, like, worrying about me, mum. Uh, me and Esme just wrote about Esme's life and I'd like say things to her but like right then Esme what 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 we're gonna write next and she'll like move her feet I was like oh right you like to be a dancer and I just (laughs) spent that time writing down all my memories everything I wanted to remember of Esme I wrote down and that's that started my writing my blog writing was that passion of of writing I suppose so yeah. it's a little gift from Esme I love um if I can see through my tears um in your <laughs> book on, um, on your blog you've written um I'm turning an end into a beginning and yeah. I thought that was really beautiful um that you're you're bringing something positive back and turning it around and and the fact as well that you're trying to help others who are going through similar or have experienced something um mm-hmm. like you have is, is an incredible and brave uh thing to be able to do um you should be so very proud of 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 what you're doing and what you have done it's amazing thank you I suppose I, I I'm very much on the feeling that if I'm suffering and feeling it myself then I'm not afraid to just put it out there and because I know from reading other people's blogs where they've spoken out about it and even what's been maybe some of their darkest thoughts and then they've said it out loud and I've read it I was like that's me too (laughs) and I feel relatively 
like a normal human being. <laughs> Absolutely, because I think when you think these things, you think you're the only person in the whole world who's ever thought something like that or or as bad as that. You've you've made it so bad in your head, but actually you're not. You're, you're never, ever, ever alone. There's always somebody else um, out there. So again, like to be able to do what you've done uh, or are, are doing is, is amazing. It's 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 so courageous of you. <laughs> well, I'll put that down to Esme. <laughs> <laughs> Go Esme. <laughs> so you, you were able to spend um, a good part of the, the night slash morning with her. Um, yeah. And to know that in the, and what had also happened on the day of the christening that they hadn't been able to get in touch with a charity called Remember My Baby. And they're a really special charity that come and take photographs of your last moments with your baby. And they couldn't find a photographer to do it on the day, on the day of the christening. And so on the Monday, they got a lady from Remember My Baby to come. And so we had a little photo shoot. <laughs> And it was just a really wonderful, normal family thing to do. Like take take away what was going to happen and just to be able to focus on that moment of being a family. And she she captured really happy moments, but she also captured such raw emotional from the heart moments. And and it took me a long time to look at those photographs, but the the incredible photographs yeah that is incredible and so was it that day that you that you made the decision yeah we basically got to a point where we'd given her a little jacuzzi bath (laughs) (laughs) yeah the nurses had put the uh, oxygen tank in the bath so gave us some um yeah she had a jacuzzi bath and then we swapped the christening baby grows so the baby grow that Charlotte got christened on is the baby grow that Esme wore and I suppose is still still wearing <laughs> in a grave. And the and then Charlotte's got her Charlotte's got Esme's Christmas. Oh, that's beautiful. You, you you managed to think of at such oh gosh, I can't it's not even a hard time, such a an overwhelming time you managed to think of so many things yeah um, so many memories <laughs> yeah I wanted her to feel like she was having a permanent hug and the fact that she'd been christened and blessed in it meant that it was a good hug that's an amazing <laughs> hug yeah <laughs> uh, uh, yeah so uh, after that it got to a point and that we'd read them a story together we'd held them and then it got to a point where we we're like basically that we ticked everything off the list and <laughs> time and we decided to go back into the family room and um and then then we got told that whenever we took her off the oxygen that it might be really really quick or that it might be hours um and so we she got taken off the oxygen and the nurses stayed with us for a little bit and then left us to it and then it wasn't long before I suppose she felt like maybe she had like this big fit and then went grey. And then and then we were like, right, go and get the nurse. And the then the nurse came and then the heart rate had slowed right down. And um we're like, right, um, 
it's it's not it's not going to be long now and then and then the ne- and then they i think they left us to it but then a couple of minutes later esme just completely startled and frightened the life out of me and connor i was like connor go and get someone go and get someone the uh, nurse came back again the sister came back again checked her heart rate and was like i have never heard a heartbeat as strong as that before (laughs) (laughs) little rascal had like brought herself back from the dead (laughs) Yes, her, her mother's fighting spirit, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So then, um, so she basically did that for 12 hours. Where in, Oh, my and word, that, for 12 hours. Yeah. And I, and I think it, the, the neonatal nurse said that there's lots of things that happen on this unit that if you don't laugh about it, then you'll cry about it. But basically, Esme resuscita- resuscitated herself f- many times every hour for 12 hours wow. but it got to the point whenever we'd be like right her face would go all gray and uh, her body would uh, stiffen a bit and we'd be like right this is it this is it she's she's going and then all of a sudden she'd resuscitate herself and frighten the life out of us <laughs> because, we, because we thought that she died and all of a sudden she'd almost felt like she jumped out of my arms again Gosh. <laughs> and I was and I like had a nervous word with Connor I was like Connor is it bad that I'm I'm almost laughing at how much she's <laughs> every time she does it and it just it just it just helped it just it just massively helped us that Connor was felt exactly the same but it did get to a point whenever she started to really struggle and her body started to really tire. And every time the morphine wore off, she suffered more and more seizures. Okay. But I think it also gave us peace of mind that whenever the morphine wore off and her body went into such seizural activities that it told us that she was a very, very poorly baby. Yeah. And it was the right decision to make. Um, so I think it got to... Mm. I think she died at two forty-seven in the morning, or one forty-seven in the morning, and um, uh, it it was a time whenever we had to tell Esme to stop fighting, yeah. and uh, it was time for her to go. <laughs> to pick. Yeah, Sorry. yeah, it was. Yeah, mm. and, and then with. Um, with Charlotte, how, how much longer was she in hospital before she um, was able to be discharged? So she stayed in the LGI for a, just shy of a week. And then she went over to St. James's Hospital, uh, which is the lead sister hospital. And then she was there until the 10th of October, which was actually their due date. So she was textbook baby. That wow. say. <laughs> But to take my baby home and they say we often go by their due date so on the 10th of October month and a half after Esme died the 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 I suppose the wonderful thing was that once Esme died Charlotte went from strength to strength so I like to think that just like she shared her waters with Charlotte she then gave her the strength to 
to be her. I am absolutely <laughs> positive that is what happened. <laughs> and um, how was it then bringing um, Charlotte home with the conflict of the joy of bringing Charlotte home with obviously the, the, the grief and the loss of Esme? Mm. I think the the easiest way to describe it is that nothing has ever felt more bittersweet in my life mm. and bittersweet has a whole new meaning to it and I think I um I spent the first, I spent my days looking after Charlotte because uh, Charlotte came home on oxygen so she came home I think she was five just over five pounds whenever she came home wow Gosh, which is feels so tiny and to me it was huge but then <laughs> I pound baby I was like she was tiny <laughs> um, so yeah I'd spend my days looking after Charlotte and then nighttime breastfeeding Charlotte but that was also my time of grieving for Esme uh, so my days were very much split in two of being surviving through the day being strong for Charlotte during the day and then grieving for Esme during the night. Um, and I met up with two people. I met up with a wonderful lady who had a surviving twin who was born at 27 weeks. And she's been my inspiration. And then I also met up with another lady who had lost her girl 10, uh, who, uh, 10 years ago. And she said that it'll come to a point whenever you'll need, you'll, you might feel that you need help. And I, and it, five months after losing Esme, I had this moment where I went to go and see Charlotte and or say goodnight to Charlotte. And I looked at her in a cot and I just thought, what has my life come to? I've got one, one disabled daughter and one daughter and one dead daughter. And, and then, and I realized with having those thoughts that I can't live my life with this mindset of how distraught I feel inside and yeah. how broken and how every day I felt like I was just getting more and more sad and I didn't want my life to be filled with sadness. And so that's whenever I got in touch, I got in touch with a health visitor who then put me in, in touch with a bereavement charity. Um, and and you, are you still seeing the bereavement charity now? Are you still seeing? Uh, all them for six months and and that, and then after going, um, I went to, and then I've I'm recently just done seven months of psychotherapy, and I thought I was going to my psychotherapy to talk about my trauma with Esme, mm -hmm. but it's about other other problems and other struggles, and what I learned was through my six months of bereavement counselling that I'd processed majority of the trauma with Esme and that felt incredible to know that I'd that I'd done that <laughs> that's amazing and there's, there's there's no way you could have done that by yourself like you need to you have to go for help and support and um yeah you're, you're incredible and you're such an inspiration and with Charlotte so Charlotte's got um cerebral palsy yes I realized that I missed that, that <laughs> so much it was whenever Charlotte was a week old but she was um she suffered a grade four brain hemorrhage to the left side of her brain 
which was likely to result in cerebral palsy and they said it likely to result result in sorry uh grade four brain hemorrhage in the left side of the brain yeah. which was like result in uh, um uh, movement problems with the right side of her body so she's she has got cerebral palsy and she's got hemiplegia which means that she's got stiffness in her right arm and leg and has daily physio and is seen by the pediatric team um but she she doesn't she doesn't let it stand in a way <laughs> doesn't let us know i've followed her on your instagram and she's amazing <laughs> yeah. she just goes for life i can see that <laughs> does <laughs> and what does um what does charlotte know about esme Do, is it is esme in your in your daily chat or yeah you understand yeah. what happens we talk about her all the time any opportunity that uh that we have to talk about her and I've got a um a, a tattoo on my arm there which is my yeah. Esme stuff loves to talk about that and she's always asking about um about my wants to see pictures of my twin bump and whenever they were born and I've now spoken to her that her and Esme were born really really early and that Esme was really poorly and is now a star in the sky and the other morning she came into bed with me and said, Mummy, I had a, I dreamt about Esme last night. And I was like, Aww. oh, it was wonderful. I was like, Charlotte, tell me more. Oh, and that's so tell- beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> um, the, but I, 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 uh, mental health is a huge, thing, a huge thing for me. And I want to make sure that I'm supporting her across all, all angles. And she was, she got really upset the other day and I went, I found her in the, in the playroom and she was crying and saying that she missed Esme and that's the first time she's ever done that and I've I got in touch with the same charity group that I had bereavement therapy with and they also do a children's service so she's on the waiting list for them Uh, yeah talk to them them just to make sure that everything's spoken about on her level absolutely because um it's it's just been it has just been the anniversary of Esme's death is that right but yeah on and you, Sunday and you you did you do a family picnic yeah our first tradition called <laughs> uh, Esme's picnic and we choose a, a different spot each year and I've made her own bunting and I have made table mats and napkins but they don't come out because I don't want them to get dirty <laughs> 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 No long to make, so I'm like, oh, well, we'll just bag. <laughs> oh. <laughs> we just put bunting up, but it looked absolutely stunning in this oh. on this week this year. <laughs> oh, that's so lovely, and that's something you're going to continue on with, with obviously every year. And future, I hope for Charlotte to choose the location for her to choose yeah. what, and and Archie as well, and just to have a make it make it a family thing and it's always going to be a day that I'm going to struggle with and everything feels that bit more tense or that bit stronger um but I might as well do something I love on that day absolutely and on the days that you are struggling what 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 do you do what what is this is there one particular thing you can do or to make yourself process things or feel better or I uh I I I write 
I try and I try and write, keep it, keep a journal. And I asked my bereavement therapist this, and she and I was like, "What do I do whenever things just my brain feels like it's working at 100 mile an hour, and I start doing a million jobs at once and can never finish any?" And I just feel like a whirlwind. And she just replied saying, "Just roll with it, Amy. Just roll with it." I was like, what? <laughs> <laughs> so, no, I just try and roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> Is it Oasis or Blur? Or blur? I'm going to embarrass myself now. Well, with it. Yeah, I love that song. <laughs> well, there you go. Then. Put it on and then uh, have a little boogie. And we haven't spoken about Archie at all. So, how how was it? Um, it must have been emotional, like becoming pregnant again. Um, mm. Ever ever since the girls were born, I felt broody, and I wasn't sure if it was. And I hated going around mother care and all these either mums with their newborn babies or with their full term bumps because I I didn't look pregnant anymore and I didn't have my baby with me <laughs> and I had two two girls in the hospital. Um, but uh, where was I going with that? Um, I what was the question again? Archie, which is talking about Archie, and um, you said you oh, were. Yeah. Uh, the uh, the consultant said to wait a, wait a year and then start trying. And then a year went by and then I was like, the whole year leading up to a year, I was like, cannot wait to start trying again. And, then, <laughs> and I was like, oh God, I can't do this, I can't do this. But then by September, uh, I was ready. I was more than ready to start trying and then got pregnant. I actually think much. you could be Wonder Woman. <laughs> go through everything have charlotte home and then broody and then, i'm still broody now <laughs> does connor know unfortunately yes the conversation has been banned <laughs> we got to that point <laughs> no more <laughs> well watch this space <laughs> yeah i got pregnant with archie pretty much straight away and and it was a real roller coaster and especially during the times whenever my waters went and then whenever um I was prepared to go and camp outside the hospital on the day before 24 was three weeks Uh, that day ticked by I became I knitted for England (laughs) you You sound very crafty are you very crafty I, I, I like my crafts uh, yeah, so I set, I set up a hat business called Stitch and Star. Knitted <laughs> <Wow. laughs> about twenty odd hats <laughs> and posted them out. With all that spare time you had, must have had looking after Charlotte and her therapy, <laughs> and just knitting as well. Instead of just deciding not to sleep, I decided to knit. <laughs> oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah, so that helped me. That helped me a lot. Just keep my mind mind busy. And then I, and then I, the, I think it, what helped me and Connor the most was the two incredible consultants that we had that looked after me and had uh, fortnightly scans or monthly scans and just reassured us that everything was fine and um, any feelings that we'd have or any thoughts that we'd have were like completely normal. And he was just the most amazing man. And then I managed to, and then by the time it got to 
uh, it felt incredible to be in third trimester. I, I loved having a huge bump and being in because third you trimester. hadn't been there before, really, had you? Oh and wow! I couldn't. I couldn't remember everything now, but I couldn't have anything in the house until I think I was maybe thirty. 35 weeks pregnant. Had you got round to, um, with the girls, had you got round to doing any shopping for them? Yes. I found out I was having twin girls and went and bought a load of pink stuff. Okay. (laughs) And had washed it all. And that was my announcement. You are so (laughs) organised. Keen. (laughs) Yeah, but I couldn't have anything to do with Archie so it was uh, I think I, my, I was almost split of loving having a big bump but also I suppose in denial yeah. that he come home uh, and did you know he uh, was a boy yes and I couldn't get used to the fact that he was a boy because I think I was only ever used to carrying girls I was like yeah yeah it's got a boy <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah then the third trimester I started to relax and uh managed to get a hospital bag together I loved going shopping for that because that was a huge thing with of not having a hospital bag yeah. and I was not having a hospital bag so Charlotte and I did a shopping trip and did that um but new anxieties came in that the baby was going to be stillborn or I just things just Kept, worries just kept on entering my head that this baby was never going to come home and then it and then I reached full term and I was like and then I was like a different person I was like what have I been worrying about this whole pregnancy oh. <laughs> He's fine it's coming home well, I've done it I've done it <laughs> but the trouble with Archie was his placenta covered most of the front of my was at the front so I could only feel a little bit of for... yeah so oh. then it's a then I felt like I kept on having lots of reduced movements. Yeah. So I think I waited five days overdue and then I'd had enough. I was like, right, we're getting induced. <laughs> it's happening. <laughs> so yeah. you were induced with Archie? Yes, I was desperate to have a natural birth. Gosh. Yeah. So uh, I, I got induced and it was the same midwife that looked after me whenever I gave birth to the girls that was on that was working whenever I came in with Archie so I was like and I recognized her and I was like right this is all the right cues that um that I'm gonna have Archie and um so yeah uh, then he was um then had to be yeah I was induced and then he was born the next day (laughs) amazing amazing yeah yeah (laughs) and obviously he doesn't understand anything yet about um Esme but is used to Mm -hmm. chatting about her and knows her name and yeah and he like points to my tattoo and we look at pictures and I say I talk to him about his big sister Esme who's in the sky and he's got a big sister Charlotte and I try just I suppose like I do with Charlotte and it's stronger with Charlotte, but then I think that's because she's older and that whenever she was Archie's age, it was that loads of people had bought us gorgeous presents when they were born and we got lots of toys to the same. And yeah. Charlotte's first 
uh, suppose her first memories or the first times we included Esme in conversation was through playing with her with their toys. And so I suppose that's where I'm at with Archie. <laughs> yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see where that goes. <laughs> yeah. And how to and and how does Charlotte and Esme get um sorry, Charlotte and Archie get on? Ah uh, <laughs> They love each other. They want they spend <laughs> of a time with each other. They do get on, but I am constantly acting as referee. <laughs> <laughs> Amongst other things, I'm sure. Other things, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. oh. Okay, so um I try to finish off uh every podcast episode with sort of the similar sort of questions. Are, are you okay for me to go ahead and ask you some some questions? Yes. Great. Um, so starting off with, if you could have coffee with any woman in the world or alive or dead or famous or family, who, who would it be? It would actually be a friend who I met through Instagram, through the baby loss community. Oh, wow. Who, in fact, she's lost two, two babies oh. and, uh, and she's got Florence, who's Charlotte's age. But whenever I meet up with her, we just have the best time. And we talk about everything and we laugh about everything. And because I suppose we're on the same page, we can talk about Esme and she can talk about Stanley and Rosie and we can have dark humour and it's not greeted with. Yeah, you can just be completely 100% yourselves and know you're not judged. Yeah. It's I, lo- I love that you met on social media as well. It's uh, it just shows that it is it is a good thing. <laughs> Used correctly, yeah. it is good. It is, oh. yeah, incredible. And <laughs> um, what have you heard yourself saying, sort of cringed at that it was something that your mum used to say to you? Yeah. Come on, get your shoes on. We're going to be late. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, it's all I'm saying at the moment. It's constant. <laughs> I feel like I'm asking everything like 15 times before we actually yeah. the door. <laughs> painful. <laughs> so painful. And since becoming a mum, what's your best life hack? So when I first read this um, question, I thought, um, oh, I'm not allowed to say that, am I? <laughs> That's okay. No, it's fine. No, no, go ahead. Oh, well, when I, when I first read that question, I thought of, my psychotherapist <laughs> I need her in my life <laughs> yes I love that yes definitely yeah. and we all need second... one can we keep one yeah. in the cupboard that would be helpful <laughs> yeah. my friend says we all need a Julie in our lives <laughs> oh. <laughs> and then the other thought was to just roll with it <laughs> yeah back to Oasis <laughs> yeah back to Oasis just roll with it no it's amazing <laughs> Amy, thank you so, so much for talking to me and for sharing your story. And I just honestly, I think you're an absolutely incredible person um, and you've got a beautiful family. Um, How can other people find you? Uh, I suppose through my Instagram and Facebook page, This Is My Brave Face. So this is my brave face. So everyone needs to go and look up Amy and give her a follow um, and see what she gets up to. And we haven't even spoken about your gorgeous dogs who are absolutely beautiful as well. Good girls. Good girls. <laughs> Great. Well, a fantastic rest of the evening and thank you again for speaking to me. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. Amy's strength is absolutely beyond me. 
I admire so much how she's taken the death of her darling daughter Esme and used it to try and reach out and help others in similar situations. I urge you to follow her as she bravely shares so openly how she is doing on a day-to-day basis and I wish her so much love in her days going forward. If you've enjoyed listening to the podcast, please like, rate and subscribe and head over to my Facebook group Motherhood Exposed to be part of our supportive community of mums. You can find me on the usual socials, so look me up. See you next episode. I'm so happy to say that this episode of Motherhood Exposed has been sponsored by my favourite baby shop in Dubai, Eggs and Soldiers. The parenting treasure trove on the ground floor of Times Square Centre and online at eggsandsoldiers.com. Launched in 2014 by lifelong UAE resident and mother of four, Sophie Chabowski, Eggs and Soldiers proudly researches, personally tests and cherry picks eco-aware, sustainable and locally sourced baby essentials and playtime equipment, plus the world's safest and most rigorously tested strollers and car seats. This is where you'll find honest advice about the best purchases for your baby, toddler and family's ever-changing needs, plus tips on what you can definitely do without. Check out eggsandsoldiers.com where you can live chat with the team and order with free speedy delivery throughout the UAE and across the Middle East. Not only that, but the lovely team at Eggs and Soldiers have given all Motherhood Exposed listeners a 10% discount code valid until November the 8th. So for online purchases, use Zoe CM10. Z-O-E-D-M-10. Z-O-E-D-M-10.